Hallelujah. It's good to be with you this morning. I trust those of you who've been with us Friday and Saturday that you've had a good night's rest. And um, I was inspired last night since uh, the storm is one. I'll just let that sink in. <laughs> it's been a wonderful weekend, a wonderful journey. And this morning I'm going to be teaching, not so much preaching. On Friday I was more preaching, sharing vision and imparting and so forth. But this morning would be bit more practical. Uh, before I get into that, um, for those of you who are visiting this morning, um, I'm going to be sharing some, let's call it spiritual meat uh, today, and um, I'm trusting God that through the message and what I share with you, that God will drop things into your spirit, and, and each of you will receive different things. This morning, there will be certain things that the Holy Spirit will highlight in your life, and there are things that you can change. In, in the way that you think and approach God. Um, maybe before I get into that, a little bit more about what I do, or a little bit of history. As I was speaking in the early years, the 90s, um, I was Shofar's first missions director, and uh, was uh, very much involved in missions and sending out teams and training up team members. Then Christelle and I got married on Millennium Day, so it's always easy for me to remember um, you know, when is the anniversary, and I can, if I really want to brag, then I can tell you that, you know, I've been married for 15 years, two months, and 15 days. But it's not that difficult to work out, is it? <laughs> so it's my party trick there. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, Christelle and I went to pastor the Franschuk Church. At that stage, I was the youngest senior pastor in IFCC, and the youngest member of the church at the age of 24. Um, from there, we went to Potchefstroom, where we pastored the church there, or we helped another pastor who, to grow his church, our first network church. And after that, we went to Stanerton, where we planted a church, and we helped to plant the Secunda church, and last year, also helped to plant the, the Potchefstroom campus church, the Shofar church that we've now planted on campus itself. And for about almost two years, a year and a half, um, I've been at the head office where I'm overseeing this, the Shofar Network Churches, as well as our NGOs through the Cyrus Trust, and then I also represent the church at Empower 21. So let me just quickly, in one minute, tell you what's happening. We've got churches that are not Shofar in name. They're Christian fellowship or different kinds of names, um, Word of Life, or etc. And those churches then partner with us some of them have been churches that we've sent mission teams to. In fact, most of them are churches that we've sent mission teams to in the past. And we realized that we want to do more than just visit somebody for a week or two every second or third year. We would like to develop long-term relationship with churches and assist them in discipleship, training, material, structures, etc. Um, God has called us as a church uh, to, to disciple the nations. And the whole church is, in fact... Uh, called to the same thing, but the Lord gave us a prophetic word some years ago as a church that in our lifetime we will be discipling 40 million people. Now, at the current growth rate of Shofar South Africa or international, we'll reach that goal in terms of membership in 81 years from now, which is a bit too long. Amen? So, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to live another 81 years. So, we are empowering existing churches to help with the discipleship process. In other words, they will, it's indirect discipleship. 
we are helping them, equipping them, and they do the work ourselves. So the, the network churches have grown from about 10 churches when I started a year and a half ago in 2013. Um, plus minus 400 churches joined the network, and last year 700 churches joined the network, and they're coming in in groups of hundreds from different countries. And it's just amazing to see how God is adding people to us. And so next year, this year is preparation for launching Bible school in Zimbabwe. Zambia has already got Bible school for a number of years, and we'll take it to Burundi and a few other places. Um, so we're hoping that by next year we'll have plus minus 500 Bible schools at least. Um, that's being rolled out in Zimbabwe, Zambia, etc. And, and we need some help in those things to, to make it work and to make it happen. In terms of our mission teams that go, that will help to impart the foundation series, etc. Anybody want to get involved with that? Hallelujah. Then um, with Empower 21, that's the bigger group movement that we belong to as Shofar. And um, it's, it's a word from the Lord. God has been speaking to great leaders across the world, spiritual leaders from Pentecostal and, and charismatic churches to say, come together, work together for global evangelism and discipleship. So more than 65 million people are already part of that. The, the world has been divided into 12 regions of which English-speaking Africa is one, French-speaking Africa is another one. And, and so Pastor Fred and myself are serving on the African cabinet, and I've been elected there as the assistant secretary for the African cabinet. So it's my job to travel the continent, to meet the key leaders of every country, to get people to, to get connected in, in, in groups of, of literally hundreds at a time. Some, some leaders have got thousands of churches, and they're coming in. Um, Apostle Apoko, who's the chairman, he's got 30,000 churches the other co-chairman has got 8,000 churches. And these are the kind of people that God is bringing together on our continent. So I've got a little picture there for you from last year's conference in Ghana. The guys with the earphones are the French guys. They're listening to interpretation. Two and a half thousand pastors from 30 different nations in Africa already coming together. Isn't that amazing? As God is uniting his church and God is building his church. Remember what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. So there are exciting things that's happening in May. The world is coming together for the global conference in Jerusalem from 20 to 25 May. And you're invited, by the way, to go with. So if you want to go, you can uh, get the details from Pastor Andre. And, uh, but the closing date is soon, so you'll need to speak to him tomorrow. Okay. You guys are extremely quiet. Um. I'm going to have to get you to make some noise. Otherwise, I'm going to feel very lonely up here. So just tell the person next to you or ask the question, are you ready? And if they don't look ready, shake them or tickle them or get some life into them. So let's get into the message. You know, when we talk about prayer, I get different responses. Sometimes if I call people to the front, if I just pick somebody randomly and I say, okay, come, would you, would you lead prayer for us now for about five minutes? Then I'm sure that there would be some people in the room that feel, would feel a little bit uncomfortable. And if I were to pick you, you would sort of, you know, when the teacher asks a question at school and you sort of just, there's different strategies. Some sit back like this and others 
really study their work. You know, you, you don't want to make eye contact. That is normally my strategy. As long as I don't make eye contact, she won't pick me. <laughs> and it worked most of the time, actually. So if you're still at school, you might adopt that strategy. But why is it that people would have a response like that? Why is it that when you invite somebody to pray in front of the school or pray in front of the church or pray in front of a large group that we get scared or somehow we, we don't feel confident in praying? I think it's because we have a wrong idea of what prayer is. It's because we think that somehow there's this perfect poetic kind of prayers that we need to pray and it's almost like a mini performance, and maybe my performance is not going to be good. Maybe I'm not going to be able to, to pray in the right way. Maybe people are going to laugh at my prayers. But the reality is when we sit and chat one with another, we're not afraid. If I use the school example again, you know, the kids would chat with their friends, and the teacher can't keep them quiet. But come and stand in front of the class, and all of a sudden now you're scared. Why are we scared? Because we don't know what prayer is. Prayer is speaking to your best friend. So if you're not afraid to speak to your best friend in class next to you, why would you be afraid to speak to your best friend where others can watch as well or see or hear? So my definition for prayer is very simply this. Prayer is talking to God. And God is our friend. He's not our buddy. He's not our chummy. But he is our father. He is Friendly towards us, he is not someone far away, not from a distance. You know that song? From a distance, God is watching us. And then people are, ooh, he's watching me. No. God is real, God is here, God is inside of us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we speak to him, we can speak to him with confidence, with boldness, as if he is our friends, because he is, in fact, our friend. Hallelujah. And so I want to move on from just general prayer and speaking to God to terms we call intercession and spiritual warfare. Two things we don't often teach about in church itself. Sometimes we have special prayer meetings and you have the special intercessors or the spiritual warrior guys. And I want to tell you that I don't really believe in that because we are all called to pray. We are all called to intercede and we are all in the battle, whether we like to know it or not. We are in a spiritual war, whether you like to know it or not. The day you become born again, you become an enemy of Satan. And so you are at war, and you need to learn how to fight in the spiritual realm. We need to know how to exercise the authority that God has given us. So to give you a short definition for intercession, it is simply to pray on behalf of someone else. You know, it's like God wanted to, to destroy Israel when they sinned. And Moses said, no, Lord, please, please save them. Please don't kill them all. It was stepping in and interceding on their behalf. Abraham did something similar. He said, Lord, for Sodom and Gomorrah, please don't destroy them. Um, you know, if there's 50 righteous people, will you save them? If there's 20, if there's 10, etc. you know the story. But we, we are praying on behalf of others. And we're going to be talking this morning a little bit about praying on behalf of others, praying for others, that God's life-changing power will be released in them. And I want you to understand that we have an authority and a and a power to, to release the dynamous power of God, the miracle working power of God, and the demonstrative um, 
authority of God over demonic powers by our voices. I can pray into your life. I can speak into your life. You may not know it. You may not see me. You don't even meet me. But I can speak into your life and I can exercise an authority over what happens in your life and the demonic powers that exercises influence over your life because there is power in the words we speak. That is why the scripture says there is power, life and death is in the tongue. You can speak death and you can speak life. And it's real. It's not something that's, that's just figurative speech. There is a real power in the words we speak. We've been created in the image of God. And, and you would read scripture and, and it says in Genesis, And God spoke. And there was light. God spoke the heavens and, and the earth into being. Jesus spoke and the, and the storm was calmed down. Jesus spoke and the demons were cast out. Jesus spoke and the centurion's servant was healed a few kilometers away without him touching him, seeing him, laying hands on him. He just spoke the word and the dynamis power of God was released at another place in that city. And the miracle working power of God was released. So when we are interceding, we are speaking words. Sometimes we're going to be prophesying. You speak things into being. Or you address spiritual things and even physical realities. You address it, but with your mouth, you are changing the substance of what is happening. When somebody is sick, you change the substance of their body, and the sickness is destroyed, and they are being healed. So I want you today to move away from this just... Religious kind of praise where I'm just praying and I'm just giving something to God. And we have the, the, the normal, let's call it traditional kind of religious thing, but we also have Pentecostal charismatic traditions. Some of us could be praying loudly in tongues, but yet not have any faith or authority behind those prayers when you're praying in the Spirit. And we need to come to a place where we realize what we are doing, what we are saying, the authority that we have, and exercise that authority in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's come to how do we pray? Um, I'll get to spiritual warfare. Maybe I'll just give you the, the definition of spiritual warfare quickly before we get going. Spiritual warfare, if intercession is praying on behalf of others, spiritual warfare is addressing demonic powers and demons and forces and curses, etc. You address it, you bind it, you break it, you chase it away. Okay, that's more or less it. Is that okay? Short definition? Okay. Now, what I want to share with you this morning is how do we pray for people who are not saved, people who do not know Jesus? How do we effectively pray for them? Because the Bible tells us that it's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much in James. He says that. So oftentimes it happens that our prayers are ineffective. It's, it's like, like shooting arrows and you're just shooting it into the wind somehow hoping that it's going to hit something. But we need to, as our prayers, focus our prayers. I was saying it on Friday. If you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. If you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. You're going to hit nothing. But if you focus your prayers, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man Avails much. So how do we become more effective in our prayers, specifically for those who do not know the Lord? I want to give you a strategy from the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 to 9, and then verse 19 to 23. Let me read it for you. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out, out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. 
And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. For what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirtyfold. So he speaks about the good soil, and when the seed of God or the word of God falls on that good soil, it produces thirtyfold, sixtyfold, or a hundredfold. In other words, that's not thirty percent or sixty percent, it's sixty times what was God has given you. So in other words, if you are good soil here, and I'm giving you a word today, some of you even here in this very room are battling just to stay awake. I can see that, and I can see that Satan is trying to snatch even the message I'm preaching. And I'm going to pray for you right now, in a few minutes, to stop that. But let's trust that, that today this is good soil, then it means that the word that I'm speaking to you now is supposed to produce in your life 30 times, 60 times, 100 times the effect of what I've given to you today. Are you willing to take the seed and to multiply it? Amen. Are you ready to do that? Hallelujah. So let's look at the other three. The first one is the, the path where there, there was, it's sort of hardish, but it's a, it's a well-trodden road. And it's, it's basically that there's no understanding. In other words, they can't really um, take, take root. There's no depth for, 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 this, for the, the seed, to, to, the root to take in. But there's a hardness of heart and there's a lack of understanding. It's as if there's people that you're wanting to testify to, you want to share the gospel to, with them, but they just don't understand. They don't have a comprehension of what you're trying to say to them. Then there are the second group. That's the weeds. And this is the most common one, which means it's sin. So, for example... <coughs> There might be somebody that you're praying for and they're addicted to alcohol or they, the guy loves the girls too much, you know, and he just can't let the girls go. I mean, we all know people like that, eh? Amen? Many of us were like that ourselves. We, somebody's in drugs, somebody's lying, somebody's swearing, somebody's uh, under a lot of pressure through friendships, peer pressure. And, and we identify these forces that work into their lives. Now, for every sin, I want to tell you that there's a demonic force that enhances that sin. Sin opens the door for demonic work in our lives. That doesn't mean we're all demon-possessed. There's just demonic work and an enhancement or a strengthening or a boosting that takes place through demonic powers, which we allow into our lives through the, the open door of sin. And this is true for everybody in the world. So when we pray for the people on, on stony ground or those with weeds, so let me get to the third one 
first before we get into how we pray. The, the, the third one is, is stony or shallow ground. It's the inability to stand against peer pressure and persecution, and especially persecution. When that persecution comes, and they just wither away. They just back away, and they're unable to stand. Now, let me get practical. How do you pray for your friends? If you've got a friend and this person... Um, is, is entangled with some kind of a sin or there's a, there's a hardness of heart. Maybe someone in their family died and they blame God for it. Do you know people like that? Maybe they've prayed a prayer and the prayer wasn't answered and they've got this hardness in the heart against God. You can pray for a hardened heart to get softened. So focus your prayer and say, Father, I pray for Quissy or for Sonny, and Lord, I pray that you will, you will soften her heart, that you will soften his heart in Jesus' name. Father, I stand on the word that says that you are able to turn the heart of a king. You have hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and you've softened the heart of Pharaoh. The hearts of men and women are in your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Quissy van Amerwe. And I pray that Quissy van Amerwe will have a soft heart in Jesus' name. And you keep on praying until you see that heart becoming softened. You have an authority and an ability to pray and to speak things into being. It's not like we're manipulating people or like we're doing voodoo or something, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. But you have the ability through your prayers to exercise an authority that will do a work in people's hearts. Because we want good soil. You want to know that when you knock on the door and you say, listen, Sonny, would you come to awaken with me? Then there would be a receptiveness. There would be an openness. Finally, would you please come and and visit church with me, man, or or come to our men's camp or come to our Manakam Brai or whatever it is that you want to invite people to. You need to prepare the ground beforehand through prayer. So that is a hardened heart. What if, what if somebody is, is being persecuted? You pray and say, Father, I pray that the influence that these friends have on, on, on this specific person, Lord, I, I insulate this person in the spiritual realm, and I ask, Father, that you'll strengthen this person, that you'll give them a boldness, that you'll give them a courage to stand against persecution, not to fall back, not to, to succumb to peer pressure. You pray specific things. Whatever is their battle becomes your battle. That's what intercession is. You're praying on behalf of someone else. You're taking their battle. You're making it your own. You take their pain. You make it your own. Lord, I pray for, for Sunny, and she's got lots of pain and hurt. Lord, I, I pray, bring that pain before you. I ask, Father, that you heal her broken heart. Because Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says that you have come and that you've been anointed to heal a broken heart. So, Lord, I pray that you heal that broken heart. Or that person who's lost a family member, I pray that you heal that broken heart and bring healing into her life so that she may receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes to sin, and somebody, I mean, I've prayed prayers, amazing things. People would be smoking or drinking. Then we would pray, Lord, please make the taste of that cigarette like trash. Fellas. I mean, nobody likes the smell of trash. So we pray, Lord, make that, that cigarette taste like trash. You know, and then I've, I've seen so many times that people would say, I just didn't like smoking anymore. And they don't know why, because if somebody prayed that, they won't like it. For real. 
or somebody's got this drinking problem or whatever it is, and you speak to that spirit of alcoholism or that spirit of pornography, and you say, I bind that, that spirit of lust in the name of Jesus, and this, this, this emotional tie that Quissy has with Sonny, and they're sleeping together, and they can't let go of each other for the sake of Jesus Christ, and they, they're wanting to do their own thing. Lord, I just break that ungodly tie now in Jesus' name. I break the sin of lust in Jesus' name over their life. And you pray specifically concerning the sins and the weeds that you have seen are entangling your friend or your colleague. And you break it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Do you think you can pray more effectively concerning these things? Amen. So, that's the first one. Second one is we pray for veils to be removed. The Bible says that Satan casts a veil over people's eyes. And you can actually pray and command that veil to be lifted in the name of Jesus. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Second Kings chapter 16, verse 17. I'm not going to read that. I'm just going to tell you the story. It's the story of where Elisha is training up Eli. No, Gehazi, sorry. Elisha is training up Gehazi. His servant in the same way that Elijah trained up Elisha. Okay, are you with me on this one? So it's a discipleship thing and he's learning and he's serving. Gehazi is, is running there. And so uh, Elisha was prophesying to the, his own king what the enemy king was doing. And so they sent a whole army to come and kill the prophet who was telling his own king what the other king was doing even in his bedroom. Okay, you can go read the whole story. But he was a super spy. Better than 007 or any of the local new, new boys on the, on, the, on the block, triple X or whoever they are. Because he didn't even have to go to a place. God would just tell him, the, the king has planned this and this and this and this. And he would just give it to the guy. So here is the assassin, assassins coming, 10,000 of them. They're surrounding him in a valley. There's literally mountains all around. And they're surrounded on top of the hills. You've got this massive army. So in the morning, Elisha is getting there and he's making his poiki course on the fire putting in some salt and stirring the pot. And Gehazi comes out and he says, Alas, my master! Woo! We are surrounded! We're going to die! Look, my master! I mean, he can't figure out that his master has not spotted the 10,000 soldiers that's there to kill them. And he says, My master, look, look, look! And Elijah's just stirring the pot and tasting it and just enjoying it. And then he puts in a little bit of Peter Silly. And, and Elisha, Eli, guys, he's again going crazy. He says, says Elisha, open your eyes, please. Have a look. We're going to die. Do something. And eventually, you know, Elisha just lifts up his eyes to the Lord. And verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mouth was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, if you read the rest of the story, Gazi had another fit. He said, my master, my master, woo-hoo! There are more for us than those who are against us. They've got 10,000. There's 100,000 guys with horses and chariots of fire. And Elisha's saying, yeah. 
I'm glad you can see now. And he puts some more bitter chili in the pot and he, he makes his poiki course. Because the one guy was able to see and the other guy was not able to see. Nothing changed in what was there. The only thing that changed was the one guy's eyes open up. So people's eyes, and even in this room, there are people whose eyes needs to be opened in Jesus' name. And you can pray for the eyes of others to be opened. Listen to, the, the, to Paul praying in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. And then verse 18, which will be on the screen. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul is praying for the whole of the Ephesian church. And he's saying, I pray that your spiritual eyes will be opened. That you can see the love of God, the power of God, the inheritance that you have. That which is in you. Because then you will not be passive. You will not be sitting around waiting for life to happen. Waiting for some kind of revival to happen. You will make it happen. And that's what we spoke about on Friday. That as leaders in God's kingdom, we need to make things happen. But we're not making things happen because we don't see in the spiritual realm. We don't see who we are in Christ. We don't see the authority that we have to wield it and to, to open it up. And so if you would be wise this morning, you would pray with me that God would open your eyes. Before you even start to pray for others, that their eyes may be open. But we have an ability to lift the veils that's over people's eyes. And it's not happening. Why not? Because we don't pray. The Bible says you do not have because you do not Ask. We need to ask. So let us pray just before we carry on. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that every disturbance in this building be silenced now in Jesus' name. Every thought that is here to come and take people's minds captive and to, to steal away from the seed of the word this morning. I bind that in Jesus' name. I break its power and every distraction's power in Jesus' name. And I say, be gone in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that this morning you will open our minds, you will open the heart, our hearts, lift the veils from our eyes, spiritually speaking, in Jesus' name, that we may see, that we may hear the reality of life in the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that we will see the, the wonderful riches that you have bestowed upon us, the power and authority that you've given unto us, that we may see it, know it, and exercise it in your mighty name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the third thing we can pray is we can pray for people's ears to be opened. Deuteronomy 29 verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Jeremiah 5 verse 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. You as believers and me as a believer have the ability to command ears to open up. And by that, I don't only mean physically deaf ears, but also spiritually that people's ears would open up. Because he's speaking here about people who see physically, they hear physically, but spiritually they don't see and they don't hear. Who of you have got friends or family or colleagues and you've tried to speak to them about Jesus, but it's like you, they don't even hear you? Who, who of you have experienced that? It's, it's not like they're trying to be difficult or they're argumentative. They just literally don't hear you. 
Anybody? Then you pray. And you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever is unblocking these ears, in the name of Jesus, I unblock it now that they will hear, that they will see, that the hearts will become open in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So, as we pray for people, for their hearts and eyes and ears to be open, we also need to have a heart for people. the people that you pray for. And if you don't have a heart for those who don't know Christ, you're not really going to pray effectively. You're not going to be witnessing effectively. Because if I say to you, uh, in this bottle, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, people of East London, I have a wonderful cure. It's uh, the cure for AIDS. HIV, hallelujah, it's wonderful. And if anybody's interested in this cure, then I would invite you to come to the altar call after the service. And, and if you really feel like it, and if you have faith in this, then, then maybe you can have a sip and then you can get healed. Or you can say, hey! Hallelujah! I got the cure for HIV AIDS. Do you want to have a sip? I mean, he said yes. <laughs> Tell me, sis, it's something you need to repent of. <laughs> Just a joke. I don't want to joke too much about that. The point is, there are many people who do have HIV AIDS. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, go, Cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Why did he say heal the sick and cleanse the lepers? Because leprosy was incurable. He was saying heal the incurable diseases. There are many people with HIV. And, 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 but if you have the cure, you're going to advertise it on CNN. You're going to blow the horn. And that is why the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. But we walk around with this timidity, with this, oh, oh, sorry that I bother you. Uh, sir, may I please speak to you? No, you don't need to do that. You're not apologetic about the gospel because that person is dying and you have got the cure. Through Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you straight up that if you do not reach out to your brother or your family or your friend or your colleague, if you are too scared, it means you don't love them. Let's just be frank. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. So you need to measure today, this morning, right now, you need to measure what is the comparison between your love for the people around you and your fear of man and your fear of rejection and your fear of failure. Oh, but I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how to words to speak. I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. I don't know if my boss is going to fire me. And you have all of these little fears and things and excuses and reasons why you don't do it. Well, that means you need to measure that against your love for the people. Who of you are mothers or fathers in this room? If you get home today and your child is in this, the living room and their whole house is on fire, I guarantee you, you will not think twice about running into that building. Am I right? Even if you might die yourself. There are very few parents in this world that will not give their lives for their children. Perfect love casts out all fear. In other words, it's love for people that will cause you to move with authority and faith and boldness. And so if you don't have that love, I want to tell you, you can ask God for it. You can ask him to give you a love 
for those that you do not have a love for. The Lord showed me early on in life as I was a, a young teenager when I became born again, 16. And I, I had this incredible love for my friends, which, which didn't come from me. It came from the Lord who just imparted his love in my heart for people. And I can tell you that I love you here today, even though you've never met me, never seen me. And by that, I don't mean romantic friendship love, you know, that we have a bride every week. It just means that I have the agape love, the unconditional love for you. But let me tell you a story. At the age of 16 or 17, maybe 17 years old, I was staying, I was in hostel and every second weekend I would go home and there was a little caravan behind the back of the house and I claimed that as my space, you know. I was the eldest and I claimed this is my freedom. And I would be there and one Saturday morning I was praying for my friends and, and, and the, the compassion of God came upon me and I just saw that my friends are going to hell and that that hell is real and it is now. It's not like one day they're going to go to hell. They are on their way to hell as it is. And if I don't do something to change that, they will end up there for sure and for certain. And I was praying and, and as I was praying I was just crying and crying but I had no tissues or toilet paper there. So you know what happens when you cry a lot? Sometimes your nose starts running, eh? So I used my one hand like a bucket, and I was catching everything here, and I kept on praying for another hour or so, and then my bucket came full, used my other hand. And so I was praying like this, and my whole face was red with crying and tears and, and stuff. And then my dad came in because he was looking for me. I mean, what's his six, 17-year-old son doing in a caravan the whole Saturday morning? I mean, really, there's more to life than sitting in your caravan. And he walked in there and he saw me and he, you know, he had this massive fright and he became deathly pale and silent and he realized, he said, Anton, what's wrong? Now I could just imagine what's going through his mind. Maybe there's a girl that's pregnant or I failed some five subjects or something, but there's major problems here. And I said to him, no, dad, um, nothing's wrong. I'm just crying for my friends that are going to hell. And I'm praying for them. My dad stood there. He didn't know what to say for about a few minutes, a minute or so. He said, okay. Turned around and he walked out. And that day changed my father's life. From that very moment, my dad started to evangelize. His fellow businessmen, he started to, to join the Christian Businessmen Committee in Durbanville, and he started to, to have business outreaches and, and to, to try and lead people to Christ. And he did so until the day he died. In 2009, he died from Parkinson's disease. But you know, my dad would struggle to walk, and he would shuffle like this. Literally, this was the speed he was walking. And he struggled to speak, and he would still go. And he would speak to people about Jesus. Because not even his, his incurable disease and his sickness that he had there could stop him from telling people about Jesus. Because one morning he saw love in action. One morning he suddenly saw the heart of God. And that's my cry to you this morning. Will you cry for others? You can use tissues. I want to talk to you about prayer and action. I demonstrated it yesterday. I'm not going to do it again, but I'll just share with you briefly. When we pray, we need to also act at the same time. Faith without works is dead, James 5. Or James, James. 
Anyway, so <clears throat> some people pray. They pray a lot that it's like they're just hopping on one leg. And sometimes you hop and you hop and you hop and all night prayers, all night prayers and fasting for three weeks, etc., etc. But But you're not moving that fast. Others only evangelize, they don't pray, and they hop on the other leg. And after a while, they also get tired, and they're not that effective. Yesterday, or Friday, I had a race with Andre. First, I jumped in my one leg, and then I jumped in the other one, and then I ran a proper race. I did cheat a little bit. I counted fast. One, two, three, and then I ran. So I, I beat him just by a little bit. But when you run with two legs... You run not twice as fast, but ten times as fast. Go try it for yourself. And when we pray, I, 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 I use the example of the army. You can have the navy who shoots rockets from the sea into your enemy territory. Millions of rockets. You can have the air force who drops bombs. And by the way, the rockets and the bombs are praise, intercession, and spiritual warfare. You can, th- because that goes through the air. Either... Th- from the Navy or through the, the Air Force. And you can, you can drop a million bombs. You can drop a hundred atom bombs on a place. You have won nothing. And you have conquered nothing. Until your ground troops go in there with their feet. Boots on the ground. And they plant the flag. In the same way we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray a million times over, a hundred million times over. But if I don't go to somebody, shake his hand and say, listen, do you want to follow Jesus Christ? And that person makes a decision. We have won nothing. Spiritual warfare is evangelism. Prayer, intercession, and spiritual warfare and evangelism goes hand in hand. And you've only won the battle when someone turns to Christ. When Simon turns from death to life. Am, am I making this clear? And so, let me give you an example. I was in Paul Gymnasium in the hostel. And my friend and I, when I came there, it was the second term of Standard 9, grade 11. I prayed for the Lord to the Lord. And I said, Lord, give me just one friend that's radical. One friend that's going to be all out for you. That's all I need, Lord. Just one guy. And that's all I found, one guy. And we prayed every single day. Together, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for 10 hours. But not a day went by. And we prayed for our friends by name every day in the same way that I told, taught you this morning. We prayed for their eyes, we opened, opened for their ears, and we prayed according to the four soil types. In that year and a half before we finished matric, between him and myself, we had 250 of our friends in school to the Lord. I was leading small groups, and that's before the days that, that there were such things as cell groups or small groups in churches. I was leading small groups. God gave me a vision on how to do this every day of the week, sometimes two, sometimes three per night. Had incredible favor at the, the hostel masters. Nobody had, were allowed to be awake after lights out except me and whoever was sitting at my feet receiving from the Lord. Wonderful favor. As a 16-year-old, 17-year-old boys, that's what we did in the name of Jesus. But you know what we did is we prayed and then we did something. So let me give you this example. We prayed for three guys. I'll still remember their names and who they were. And we called them by name. And we said, Father, we pray for salvation for these guys. This one, this one, and that one. So after we said amen, I literally got up there, walked to the first guy's room. First miracle is he's alone in his room. It's a double room. And his roommate's not there. I said to him, listen, hi, I've just prayed for you. And um, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Is that okay? Can I sit down and talk to you about Jesus? He said, "Um, 
Okay. Not apologetic. Remember my earlier demonstration? With a boldness and confidence, straight up, can I talk to you about Jesus? I've prayed for you, and there's a message, there's an urgent message that I must share with you, that God has laid in my heart for you. He said, okay. So I started talking to him. About two minutes later, there was a knock on the door. And the other guy, the second guy we prayed for, who stays on the other side of the hostel, came in there and said, come in. I've just prayed for you as well. Come sit down. We're talking about Jesus. And God has got a message for you too. And so we two minutes away and then another knock on the door. Doc, 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 doc. And it was the third guy who stayed again on the other side of the hostel. I said, come in. I've prayed for you too. Come sit down. Long story short, that day all three of them became born again. Right there and then. But what would have happened if I just prayed another prayer? Instead of taking my two feet and walking to the guy's house or to his door, knock on his door and say, listen, I've come to speak to you about Jesus. Can I do that now? Am I challenging you? We love to pray for other people to be the answer to our prayers. Very seldom are we willing to be the answer to our prayers. So the first question I ask is, how do we pray for the lost? Second question, point I want to bring to you is praying with authority and faith. I was giving the example on Friday, and I, I think I'll repeat it quickly. Um, most of you know what a Rottweiler looks like. Amen. And most of us don't like them. And I know how many of you have been chased by them, but I delivered newspapers for eight years of my life on my bicycle, not with a motorbike. And I've learned how to deal with Rottweilers and the like. <coughs> I had my strategies of how to eat them with my bicycle and so forth. But, but most people, if, if, if there would be a Rottweiler coming in that door with rabies and he's got foam all over his mouth and he's crumming and he's growling and he's, Okay, you, you would be running, not just leaning like this. Most of us. Now, here's what's not going to work. Shoo! Shoo! Go away! Go away! Go away! Ladies, am I right? Am, am I right that that's not always effective? And then normally you call your husband. Not all husbands react the same. Some react the same to their wives. But here's what would work. Putak! Get out! 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 Get out! Now, with dogs, you need to watch them go to the door, close the door, because as soon as you turn your back, they turn back again. Have you noticed? We need to speak to Satan with that very same authority. I'm talking about combining faith and authority. And we need to exercise that when we pray. Too many times I listen to, to Christians praying, and I can hear in your voice that there's no authority and there's no faith. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Lord Jesus, please help us, Lord. And, and Father, if it is your will, then please come and do this and come and do that. There's no authority in that. There's no expectation in that prayer, in that voice. 
Because you, you're somehow hoping that somehow God is going to be gracious and he's going to make this happen. I want to tell you that God does not answer needs. He does not answer desperation. There are millions of needs, great needs, but Jesus didn't do everything for everyone. When people got healed, he said, your faith has made you well. Not your desperation, not your need, not your quiet little please. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me, please. No. And I don't want to despise those kind of praise, please. The Lord knows the heart of everyone. But it's the one who comes to the Lord with faith and with boldness and with courage and with an expectation. Jesus said, ask and you will receive in my name. But we must ask with faith. And then he says in another place, you must ask as if you have already received. Hallelujah. Can we do that in the name of Jesus? To change our praise, to change our expectation in terms of how we do things. Let me share with you a story in this regard. Um, when I was a university student, more or less the same time as Andre, you know, I, I studied, but not too hard because I was very busy with missions and evangelism and this Bible school and cell group and um, finding a wife and so forth. And so I remember one day, you know, I was very busy with missions and stuff, and I, 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 I needed to get an extension on one of my uh, assignments I had to hand in. And I, a number of my, my friends went to the same professor asking for extension, and he said no to all of them. But I prayed before, and I said, Lord, I need an extension. Yeah, I really do. Please help me now. Thank you, Jesus. And I received it as if it's already there. So I walked into the office to my uh, professor, and I said, hi, professor, um, good day. I just need to come and speak to you about a, an urgent uh, extension that I really need, and I'd like to know if it would be possible, and if you could just sign my form for me, please. Thank you, because I'm going to go on a mission trip. He said, yeah, okay, and he signed, and I was the only guy in the whole class that got it, because I spoke to him as if it was already done. I didn't come there to negotiate, and, and, and please don't think of me as arrogant. It, I'm not talking about arrogance. Or presumption. I'm talking about a way that you have a faith. And that faith also changes the way you act. The way you speak. The way you engage even with authority figures. When you go for a job interview. You go to that job interview as if the job was already yours. You don't go in there shy, shy. Oh, sir, you're, you know, I, I'd really love to work for your company. You say, no, no, no. Listen, I love your company. I've studied it on the internet. I love your vision. I love where you're going to, sir, with your company. I know I can add value to your company. And I'd love to be part of this team of yours. You've got a winning team, sir. And I love your vision. And I want to make your vision happen. Would you employ someone like that? Nine out of ten times you will. But you must speak and act and pray as if you've already received from the Lord. Pray with faith and authority. And then speak things into being. I'm not going to read the whole of Ezekiel because we're starting to run out of time. But Ezekiel chapter 37 from verse 3 to 10 will tell you the story of how God says to the prophet, let's read verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And 
I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you can read the rest of it. But there was dead, dry bones. There was no life. And he said, you're going to prophesy and you're going to speak life and life will come. There will be sinews, there will be muscles, there will be nerves, there will be skin, there will be organs, and these dry bones will become alive again. What happened when Jesus died and rose again? How many people rose from the dead? Go read it again. Jesus was not the only one who rose from the dead when he did. Many, many, many people, dead people, were also raised from the dead, coming out of their graves. Go read the scriptures. Go find it. It happened. The dry bones became fresh, came out of the ground and lived again. Hallelujah. Because there is power in the words that we speak. And when we pray and prophesy and speak things, sometimes God will call you to speak things into being. That you exercise that authority. Let me tell you, have you seen those little globes? I don't think you've introduced them yet. But you're going to all get these little globes, earth globes. That you can hold in your hand like a baseball ball size. And we're going to pray for the nations week on week on week. And you can have them in your house and pray with your family for the, for the nations and so forth. But many years ago when Andre and I were students, we would be praying in our cell groups. And every cell group had to adopt a country. And you would read up about that country. And you would have a flag of that country. And we would, we would study the politics and the news and whatever in that nation. And the Christian ministers there. And we would pray for that nation. And we picked Sudan. Now, at the time, Sudan was in, in civil war for 18 years, the longest civil war in Africa at the time. More than 2 million Christians were killed at the time through crucifixion, beheading, and bur- being burnt alive. And those who were not killed had their arms cut off, their legs cut off. Y- y- ferocious, terrible things that happened there. So I picked that one because I thought that's a difficult one, so let's pray for this one. And we prayed, and I remember one night, and I'm going to repeat my prayer to you. We prayed and we said, I prayed, <coughs> together with my cell group. And I said, guys, oh Lord, Lord Jesus, I ask, and, oh Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you will send the hammer of God upon the nation of Sudan, that you will hit it on his head and smash it from the head down, from the top down, smash it with the hammer of God, smash the stronghold of Islam in the mighty name of Jesus. God, that you would send the word in a mighty way into that place in Jesus' name and that you will tear that country apart for the name of Jesus Christ. The very next year, the Lord sent evangelist Reinhard Bonker. Where to? To the head. To the capital city, Khartoum. First, they didn't want to let him in. They said, no, 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 no. We're not going to allow Christian preachers in here. He said, okay, then I'm going to report you to the UN because you are lying. You're saying you've got religious freedom, but you say no to me. So are we going to take away all your aid? They said, okay, no, no, no. So you can have the Christian religious festivals, Christmas and Easter. So Reinhardt said, okay, we'll have the great Easter celebration, which was a crusade. They expected 200 people to arrive, 200,000 Muslims arrived in the capital city, a complete Islamic state at that time. And the most significant and powerful miracles even in the history of Bonker's career or his lifetime happened right there in front of those people. And the crowds grew day after day after day for about four or five days. Incredible things happen. And you know what happened after that? Sudan split. North and the south. Today you have this Christian south and the Muslim north. 
Sounds a lot like my prayer, doesn't it? Now I want to tell you that I don't claim glory for myself. And there were millions of other people praying. But I was so encouraged to know that when my friends and I in our little small group prayed that prayer with an authority, and I can guarantee you that I spoke into the heavens. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ability that you have to be able with your, even, your spiritual eye to look into the spirit and to speak even to the powers of darkness in that city. That was in the 90s. In 2001, I went there myself. That was the year after the big crusade that I just told you about, to visit there. And I was able to, to speak to those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness by myself in there and saw mighty things happen in that city. But believers, we have not even begun to tap into the authority that God has given us. Speak things into being. I'm only going to give two more and then we're going to close. Pray until the burden lifts. In other words, sometimes God will give you a burden for someone and it's like there's a heaviness or you, you have the sensation that I need to pray for someone. And, and sometimes if you really pray earnestly, you will even feel it like physically. Um, I need you to pray and you pray and in the spirit you're praying. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, there's a breakthrough and you realize, okay, God, I can, I can stop praying now. Pray until the burden lifts, until God says it's done. Sometimes people come to the front yeah, and I will pray for them. For a minute or two, and then eventually I feel in my spirit, man, God says, it's done. There comes a time when it is done, actually, if we speak with authority and with faith. Then we just stand on the word. And finally, travailing is the most in-depth kind of intercession. Travail is when you take another person's burden upon yourself to such an extent like it really becomes your own. Somebody's got back pain and they feel like you've got back pain yourself. Somebody has got stomach cancer and you feel like you've got this pain inside of your stomach and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you speak to that cancer. You say, in the name of Jesus, cancer, you shall die. You shall be cast out of this body and the body shall be healed in Jesus' name. But you're praying and sometimes I've, I've seen and heard of people that it feels literally like, you, like you're giving birth to something. It's just deep intercession and you're warring on behalf of that person in the spirit. You see it and you birth it through prayer in Jesus' name until the burden is lifted. God will sometimes wake you up at night and he said, now's the time to pray. Many times it happened that people have prayed for me in the middle of the night and God has moved mightily. I can give you many, many testimonies of how God saved the lives of missionaries and evangelists through people who prayed 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock at night, not knowing that that was the same hour that the terrorists were trying to kill the people in Iran or Iraq or North Korea or wherever they are. And it's my encouragement to you that you would wake up today and say, Lord, I'm going to take up your burden.